guys, welcome to the Eclectic Readers Book Club on Sunrise Robot, where no book is too small to discuss. So, how is everyone? Doing good. Yeah, doing really well. Good. About to have a good. week off, so I am Spring really break? psyched. Yes. Ooh, exciting. Yes. Are, <laughs> are you doing anything special, fun, exciting? No, I, have, uh, I have a whole backlog of library books, so. I almost kind of want to dedicate a book a day because my library is going to want those back eventually. I can't keep <laughs> renewing them forever. Oh, can't you? <laughs> no, apparently you can't, but that's okay. I love my I just, library. I just gave up on all my library books once I started sending out my invites for the wedding. I just <laughs> gave them all back in mass and was like, I'm just not going to have time. I am sorry. Take them from me. I apologize. I'm a horrible reader. Take it. <laughs> That's better than, you know, incurring library book fines and stuff like that and them How hating you. How is that you. still a thing? <laughs> How is, like, book... Uh-uh, never mind. <laughs> because public libraries need our support and our money. I don't complain when I p- have to pay fines. I just do it because I know it's going to good things. And also, I deserved it. I read too slow. Actually, that's the good thing about <laughs> borrowing ebooks from the library because they you can... They warn you. Yeah, and you can like renew right online, yeah. or if it's it's you know expired, then they just like okay, we're gonna take it back. Man, Overdrive has changed my life. Yeah, I'm right? so happy this app exists. Yes.com, <laughs> people who are listening who do not know about Overdrive, you can get ebooks from your local library right to your phone or tablet or computer using Overdrive completely for free, and you can do audiobooks and ebooks, and it's amazing. Oh and yeah, and you can. And you can reserve physical books as well. So it's, it's completely worth it. Yeah, yeah. It will send you to the library to reserve oh, a physical right. book. Oh, that's right. That's right. I always uh, go to the library, my library first, and then I go to Overdrive. Well, my oh, library that's has so an sweet app. of you. Yeah. I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, our library here in Virginia has its own app, so you can reserve books, renew books, everything like that, search the catalog. So I usually do that first, and then I just go and pick them up at my library, which is walking distance from my house, which oh, is really lucky. awesome. That's because yeah. the D.C. area is awesome. It is. Actually, Color to be at my fair, own hood. I have a library near us that's really good. That's like a mile away, but it's hard to walk there with a toddler. Oh, fair. <laughs> she gets older. It'll be a good yes, walk. Yes, yes. Oh, that's true. That's true. Anyways, yeah, for me, it's been a huge, hectic, pain-in-the-butt week. But in between all that, I finished two books. Yay! Go me. (laughs) Yeah, I finished The Martian by Andy Weir. I'm such a slacker. And I finished, finally, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn by Betty Smith. I love that book. That's so good. I forgot how long it was, so it took me forever to finish it. I haven't read that book in 20 years. Yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah. It's been a while for me too, and it was on sale um, through kin, through the Kindle books. So I was like, "Oh, I love the book. I'm gonna buy it." So I finally finished reading it. Well, that's a good segue into what are we reading now? I mean, so you finished two books. Are you still reading anything, Sue? Oh yes. <laughs> well, good for you. <laughs> yeah, this, that list is never ending. Like I was like, I should just pick one book that I'm currently reading. <laughs> so for me, um, right now, one of the books I'm reading is Sharp Objects by Gillian Flynn. Oh, cool. And yes, it's... The Gone Girl author. Yes, the Gone Girl author. And it's really good. Just like Gone Girl, it's dark. The people are awful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all the like people a, were awful. Most of the Girl. people are awful. Is that like a thing for her? Does she just love completely terrible human beings? So That's far, yes. Because <laughs> I think she only wrote three books from what so I understand. Far, yes, only three. Yeah, so. This is a trend where, yes, she is writing about terrible people. <laughs> and um, But it's really good. It's fascinating. So I am almost done, and it's getting really good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the yeah, the main character is a cutter or was a cutter, so she has, like, oh. all these scars on her oh, body. that's why it's called Sharp. Yes, yes. And she goes back to her hometown where she has, like, horrible memories of her mother and, like, growing up there, and she's kind of... Um, writing a story on two murders 
Mm-hmm. Um, two girls were murdered and she's writing a story on it and then she goes back to hometown for it and everything kind of unfurls. So very, very interesting. Very cool. Net. I'm actually currently reading Aragon by Christopher Paolini. You haven't read that before? I have not read that before. I have Aww. not read it either. <laughs> oh my god, behind. You too. So yeah, I just heard I mixed know. reviews. <laughs> I mean, the kid was, what, 12 when he wrote it? Mixed reviews, you still he read it. Very, yeah, he was very young from what I hear. I've, I mean, it's been recommended to me a bunch of times. It's been on my list for a long time. But I just got around to it because it will fulfill my 500-page book Oh my on God. my book bingo because it's <laughs> seven hundred thirty pages. Phew. Yeah. Yes, I'm still playing book bingo. I've got four books left. Um, well, I got it. I've got to finish. So, um, yeah, I I like it. It's about a boy who finds a rock in the forest, and turns out it's not a rock, but it's a dragon egg. And then he goes through all the adventures that a boy with a dragon goes through. You know, the, there's certain things you've got to do if you. Get yourself learning, a dragon. Learning how to dragon ride. Learning, learning how, to how to sword fight. Learning all you those know, sorts of how things. to travel through the forest. How to be sneaky. <laughs> how to fight bad guys. All mm-hmm. that stuff. So right now, it's very much you know okay. A boy finds a dragon, and <laughs> typical dragony adventures ensue. But I'm only um, about 400, 430 pages into it. Mm-hmm. And already we've hit most of the tropes. So I'm like kind of curious where it's going to go through, go to from here, especially since I know that this is actually a series and I've been told that it's a very good series. So, so we'll see. Yeah. So I mean, I have a, I'm making fun of you, but I have a confession. <laughs> I actually read beautiful creatures for my 500 page novel, which I think most people have all actually also all, Already read, but nope. I just <laughs> haven't read oh, that one. I haven't read oh that one. Oh my god, yes! <laughs> it, it was really good. Uh, the male protagonist for a female story was a little off-putting for me. Just saying, I, uh, but it it was it was good. But right now, I'm unfortunately, like I said, not reading much of anything unless you count RSVPs coming in for my wedding. That's important. Uh, yeah, and, and tracking down people who don't put their names. I'm sorry. On, on, on the RSVP. Listen, you should know who that sad face came from, okay? Yeah, I should. There was a sad face and no name. And, and I was, the only hint I had was that I could make out the letters from the city D-E-N. I'm like, that's me. It's Gabby yeah, Susan. Listen, <laughs> we got a lot of weddings that we were invited to. I'm sorry. It, no, no, no worries. No worries. But... I do have a favorite book that I read from the ER, and that I that I can talk about um, since I'm just the most boring person in Boring Town. I haven't even started reading our next book club book yet. Uh, sorry, uh, and that would be Ready Player One by Ernest Klein. That is such a good book. So good. I love it. it. It's it's it is so good. It's so up my alley in every way possible. It's a future dystopia. It's a YA novel. It has references to video games and Dungeons and Dragons and everything I love in it. Don't forget and sci-fi, sci-fi shows. Yes. Oh, every, <laughs> every fandom known to man. It is so good. I mean, there's a whole section dedicated to Dungeons and Dragons. And I never would have picked this up. Never. For some reason, just the book, I'd heard about it. I've seen the cover. And just from hearing about it, seeing the cover... I wasn't that interested in it. So unless someone in the future, probably one of you, would have read it and handed it to me, I definitely never would have touched it, which is depressing because it is one of my favorite books. Yeah, when uh, after I first read it and I was like telling the world about this book, there were a lot of people like, really? That sounds interesting. I'll check it out. And then a few weeks later, I'll see them again. They're like, oh my God, I loved Ready Player One. Thank you so much. I'm like, yes, I just made your world better. So I, na- <laughs> I I know that I gave a little bit of a overview on it, but it's it takes place just just because I, I I meant to tell what the book is. It takes place in a dystopia future where, in order for people to uh, escape the reality of how horrible the reality is, uh, most things happen in this virtual life. So they go to school uh, with VR headsets on. 
They play with VR headsets on. Their entire world is their avatar and what their avatar does in the world. Um, And it's the story of really breaking that cycle a bit. It's good. It's really, really good. That's that's definitely high on my list of ER books. It is a great book. And then, Susan, you had mentioned that the audiobook for that one is incredible. Yes, Will Wheaton narrates it. It is amazing. That's how I actually picked it up the first time. I was at the library. I saw Ready Player One. I read the back. Oh, interesting. And then I saw who narrated it. I'm like, well, got to borrow this now. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's it's wonderful. Read the book, then listen to the audiobook, then alternate from now on. And like I suggested, it would be a good book for kindergarten reading where you listen to the audiobook and you read along because that's what I want to do next. So (laughs) that is my next audiobook plan. That's a good plan. So on on a fun note, um, my book that I chose for favorite ER book is The Rosie Project by Grim Simpson. Um, It's about Don who uh, is very – he's – they don't say outright, but he is very socially awkward. Um, and he's trying to find a wife and he doesn't understand why he can't find one. So he decides to go on the scientific experiment to find the perfect wife. And he meets Rosie, who is a complete opposite of him. Um, and it's just shenanigans then happen. So it's really fun read. Um, really good. It's a good summer read, you know. Susan, what don't they say outright? Um because I don't want to like say it outright, but like he's like on the spectrum. Um, he's not autistic. He just like touches on it. Um, but you're led to believe that he has some sort of social disorder. Um, but because he does, doesn't say it outright, I don't want to be like, oh yeah, he totally has this because, you know, that's not right. <laughs> but right, right. Yeah, um, they do hint at something like Asperger's mm-hmm. disorder, like they uh, mm-hmm. uh, or Asperger's syndrome. Sorry. Right, right. They mention that at some point, but they don't actually say it outright. Exactly, which I think is one of the best things about the book. So, anyways, and uh, this has a lot of nostalgia attachment to me now because that was our five-year book pick, which is yes. where we went on our <laughs> awesome, awesome trip. And then I actually got to meet the author, so that was pretty awesome. So that is cool. Mm-hmm. Yep. Net. Okay, this was hard, and I feel like I'm saying this with hand verbal handcuffs on because it is so hard <laughs> to narrow down to one book. But I have been badgered into picking just one. Thanks, guys. You're welcome. No, um, no worries. <laughs> so. If I were going to pick a book that I really would not have picked up other than for this book club, it would be Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn. Um, And that was simply because it didn't attract my attention. It just seemed like a regular kind of kidnap mystery where the husband's been framed. But it's not about him. But it's not going to be him. He's not going to be the kidnapper. And other than that, didn't occur to me to look farther into it. But when we actually read it, I stayed up all night with a flashlight because we had just had a storm and our power went out. And I stayed up all night with a flashlight reading this because I couldn't put it down and I used up most of my flashlight battery on it probably. It (laughs) is that good. And it is also very creepy for those who haven't read it or seen the movie yet because now there's a movie. Um, If you haven't read it, it's very creepy because it starts off just about – this unhappily married couple um, and the wife disappears and the husband is the main suspect in this murder or kidnapping because he talks about how unhappy their marriage was. But when they look through the wife, the wife's belongings, she seems to have been very happy in their marriage. So it's this disconnect. And then there's multiple twists in, from the middle of the book towards the end that come really out of surprise, like out of nowhere. It's a real surprise. You know, it's funny. Uh, I usually, with very few exceptions, have hate, have hated books where they switch perspective on you, like out of nowhere. Right. With very mm-hmm. few exceptions, I hate that. 
And they do it really well here. It's really, it's it's a good twist when when the perspective suddenly shifts and it shifts several times in the novel and I I was good with it. I was surprisingly good with yeah, it. Yeah, you, because you totally needed that shift of perspective. Like you it do. wasn't like they just you, did it just because it's interesting. Like it needed to be done that way. It's true. And I think what's really interesting about this book to me is that when you read it, people are shocked and they're like, well, nobody could ever do the things that happen in this book. And in my opinion, a woman who is smart enough and determined enough could totally do the things that happen in this book. And I think that's just because people underestimate how determined and clever women really are. Which I think is a good segue to our next book because The Miniaturist is all about women. Yep. So I think we should get into that. Shockingly so and very true. (laughs) Yep. Yes. Especially for the time period. Yes, exactly. So So. what what is The Miniaturist about? Okay. I'm going to do this Sophia Petrillo style for my Golden Girls fans. (laughs) (laughs) I totally am. Picture this. Amsterdam 1686. Petronella recently was married to Johannes Brandt, this merchant, and she arrives at his house in the beginning of the story to this really not warm at all welcome. Um, his sister-in-law, his her sister-in-law, Marin, runs the household for her brother, and they have a maid named Cornelia and a servant named Otto, who's African, which is really unusual in this Amsterdam society. And Marin is not going to give up her position running this household to Nella because Nella doesn't know all the secrets and all the things that they have hidden in this household. So she asks Johannes to occupy Nella's time instead, and he gets her this cabinet house. And she decides, okay, fine, I'll just fill this house with miniatures. And she finds this ad and orders miniatures from a miniaturist, of course. But the miniaturist sends her pieces that she doesn't ask for and these enigmatic notes. And Petronella starts to see signs in the miniatures and omens. And she begins to see this miniaturist as a sort of prophet or guide as all these uh, events unfold and start revealing the house's secrets. So I guess... I would like to start by talking about these notes because we had really strong opinions on these notes. And again, we were talking about how much this book is about women. And the very first note says, every woman is the architect of her own fortune. And we had really strong feelings about this note. We did. We did. Because in that time period, it's, it's all but a slap in the face, right? I mean, how can you tell a woman that when most people, when for most people, a marriage was the only thing you could do and a marriage, no offense to marriage and especially for the time period. And as you all know, I'm getting married, but marriage is sort of a hindrance on being an architect of your own fortune because now you are, especially for the time, attached at the leg, hip and otherwise to your husband's fortune. And that's true. I mean, and that time period, you would think a lot of marriages would have been arranged for business um, possibilities or to improve your status. Mm-hmm. And yet in this particular story, we do see the women making more choices. Absolutely true. It, but in this particular story, only one of those women is married. That yeah, is. So, so that's, I think that was interesting. Yeah, because that's how Nella got married to Johannes, was, like you said, it was an arranged marriage. So she's thinking, this is just going to be typical. I'm just going to do the typical housewife thing, run the house, you know, make babies. But it totally didn't end up that way. And then I think Marin was the only one who actually tried to do her own thing um, with the limited resources she had. Um, right. So right. of of the, what do we want to say, four women in this book? Four women main, yeah. char- main characters? I'm going to, I'm going to call those uh, the miniaturist, who we don't really see much of, uh, right. Nella, 
who's the protagonist of the story and the one who's married to Johannes. Mm-hmm. We have Marin, the sister, and Cornelia, the maid. Do you want to include Agnes on that? I was, I almost did. I don't, I mean, like I said in our discussion on, on our book club discussion on our all call, uh, Agnes doesn't get a lot of um, time, you know? We, I, I, I wish I knew more about her. Um, I do. She's so interesting. And, and I don't know enough about her motivation or why she chooses to let her husband do what he does, or to really get a good understanding of if she is the architect of her own, own fortune, right. or if she isn't. So because I don't know her well enough, I'm, I'm leaving her off that list. That makes sense. Uh, the miniaturist is obviously the architect of her own fortune, right? She, her mother's family didn't want her. She was raised by her father, uh, her father taught her a craft, uh, which is totally 100% unheard of in the time period. And she opens up her own store and in some ways terrorizes this town <laughs> with it. Um, but she absolutely is living her life by her standards, right? So she, for me, absolutely fits there. Marin is the same way. Marin refuses to get married, uh, keeps her brother's secrets, runs his house, and has complete freedom. Freedom. Um, she really, well, uh, as much complete freedom as she thinks, as she wants to believe she has, I guess is the truth. Her brother is big on saying, you know, we are the makers of our own cages. And, you know, that she is free in that house and gives her all these platitudes. And to a certain extent, she gets to make her decisions and she believes him. And she chooses to live out her life there uh, and really just follows her own drum. Nella, I think, gets to that point. You know, I don't think she starts out that way. Yeah, I think Nella's a very interesting character in terms of being the architect of her fortune because she comes to this marriage expecting her husband to be the architect. She expects to be his wife and be his, you know, social candy, eye candy on the arm at functions. Go to parties. Yes, bear his babies. All that stuff. Actually, she gets there and Johannes ignores her for the a good third of the book and says, occupy yourself. You know what? Here. Here's a cabinet house. Why don't you just go play? He, Make your he own decisions. He really treats her like a child, though, especially at the beginning of the book, you know? Oh, I just, I, I you know, I, I found him just completely disinterested in her. He was like, I'll talk to you tomorrow, Nella. Pats her on the head. Go to sleep. I was like, gay. You're gay. You're totally gay. <laughs> Right, it was like, okay, (laughs) why would you travel all the way across the country to marry this girl and then ignore her? Mm -hmm. And then not even send for her. She she has to ask to come to the house, remember? Her mother writes them being like, she's really excited to start her life as a wife. You guys want her to come? Right. At all? (laughs) Um, More emoji. Um. Yeah. (laughs) Emoji, sad face. Question emoji, face. Emoji, question <laughs> face. Emoji, frustrated, uh, frustrated face. Yeah. That little ding on the forehead. Mm-hmm. Little uh, ship emoji. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Did she take a ship? Maybe she should do a cart. A cart emoji. Well, you know, it's Amsterdam. They were so big in their shipping. Oh, I thought ship would true. be appropriate. That's true. She could be useful to you. <laughs> a little broom. Um, <laughs> no, I, but, but. But yes, but she she grows as a character so much from from like Johannes's coldness, from Marin's trying to shut her out. Uh, I really feel like she grows, but she grows through her association in some way with the miniaturist. True. She grows like a turnip or a tulip. (laughs) And that's my next question. So... 
Demetrius sends Nella this note saying, the turnip cannot thrive in the tulip's patch of soil, which is on page 207, which I know, because did you know if you copy and paste from your Kindle app into another document, it cites. No, that's that's so amazing. Yes. Interesting tangent. We can talk about that later. Um, (laughs) But yes, Nella clearly clearly believes she's the turnip when -hmm. she first reads that note. Yes. What did you guys think? She's totally the tulip. All of Amsterdam is the tulip. Amsterdam is a patch for tulips because Netherlands, Dutch, all that stuff. Tulips. Tulips is like a flower for that. It is their flower. So, right, um, all those all those windmills with the fields of tulips, that's all that region. Yeah? The turnip... But then who's the turnip? Yeah, that was my question. It's totally Jack. It's the awful English root that has rooted <laughs> itself into their beautiful tulip patch. So the evil English boy I who's just, come to make their life difficult. I just thought of this because Jack is awful. But what if the turnip was Otto? Oh. But turnips are turnips aren't African. Turnips are more cold weather root veggies. There might be a turnip species in Africa. Yeah, but I don't think the miniaturists <laughs> would know that. <laughs> I'm just we saying, don't know and, what the miniaturist and, knows. And, she and, knows yeah. a lot of things. <laughs> and on top of it, Otto stays, you know, eventually leaves but comes back. Um, and Otto chooses to stay. Uh, Jack is the one who, because he cannot be who he is, mm, okay. he ruins their, you know, the, our protagonist and our protagonist's lovely patch of tulips. I think, didn't... Sad face. Sad face emoji. <laughs> didn't I, Otto flee before this note was written? Um, I don't remember. Yeah, because I'm thinking, like... The miniatures is saying that even if he wants to stay, he can't because of what's to come. You know, like um, did did the uh, Jeanette? Do you remember if this note was written before or after Riziki's death? Riziki is a dog, by the way. Yeah, Johannes is one of Johannes's beloved dogs. Yeah, Otto his- is still in the house when she gets the turnip note. Okay. Um, my question though was. In thinking about the tulip, you know, a tulip, as I believe Nella mentions in the story, is a tulip is a flower. So it looks really pretty and it's very important, generally speaking, to Amsterdam. Um, Tulip is a very Dutch flower. Mm -hmm. However, it's really for show. And the turnip is the strong, you know, root vegetable that supports everything. So I almost wondered if the turnip was in reference to all these women and the way they're supporting this world in Amsterdam. Ooh, I like that. Of secrets. So deep. Yeah, I like that. So deep. That's Just good like too. the turnip. Exactly. <laughs> this could, I mean, oh man. I could also do this. This is actually such a good note because. Now that I'm thinking about it, it could mean so much. Tulips are also, you know, the outside world. What you present to the outside world, it's pretty, it's orderly, everything has its place. It's a simple flower. You know, it looks beautiful. And the turnips are the things hidden in the ground, the roots that go deeper into society. You know, how they really, they don't, you know, a lot of people aren't just about God and looking great. You know, it's about money. It's about your secrets. It's about what you're doing at home where no one's watching. And I think what it might be saying is that your private life cannot flourish where, you know, the outside life is so important. I just thought of that, too. That's yep, that's true. I deep. mean, the private lives of these people are what really cause their downfall, Mm-hmm. Because of this specific society that's so obsessed. The tulip society. The tulip society. <laughs> we should create a tulip society. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Copyright. <laughs> Patent pending. What whatever. <laughs> uh, now that we've created our own secret society, 
that the <laughs> entire internet can learn about. Let's skip to a more enigmatic note. Um, don't let sweet weapons stray. Obvious, but good still. Um, who wants to just... Uh, Net, give us a quick overview about the sugar business of what's right. going on there. So... Agnes and Franz Meermans are these sugar growers who also live in Amsterdam. They're longtime quote-unquote friends of... Frenemies! Exactly, they really are frenemies. (laughs) Of um, Johannes and Marin. And Marin, for reasons known only to herself, convinces Johannes that he needs to sell and ship this sugar that has been grown on Agnes's plantation. And Johannes does one of those guy moves where he's like, sure, I'll do that. I'll, I'll get to that, you know, eventually. I, I'm doing it right now. I'm totally not doing it. <laughs> and the sugar just sits in this warehouse Johannes has at, down at his shipping yard for weeks and weeks and weeks until the Miramins family goes nuts and they go to check on their sugar and they find that it's going bad. And they also find Johannes in a very compromising position with Jack. Totally Johannes's fault. He's yeah, yeah, he does really that right stupid. outside your sugar warehouse. But anyway. Yeah, uh, Johannes is, well, Jack, who we've mentioned. God, how have we not brought this up yet? Well, remember when I said gay, 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 gay? I meant that in a literal way, not in a bad way. It's not bad to be gay. Being gay is awesome. Don't take it that way. He's literally uh, having a homosexual relationship with several people, but mostly his his favorite beau on the side is Jack, who is just the Not worst. a nice guy. The worst. I mean, he's the worst. Yes. He's the Joffrey of this situation <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and completely ruins yeah. this family by his actions by the end of it. Um and what he's trying to do, though, with the sugar also that Jeanette did not mention is he's trying to sell it abroad, which is hard in the New Year period because Lent is coming up and all these other things are happening and he's having trouble getting people to buy the sugar. Um, and he or could so sell it in Amsterdam. Yeah. But, but he doesn't want to. He's very yeah. against that idea. And as he decides that's a bad idea, just then the city elders basically decide, well, you know what? We don't want cookies for Christmas this year anyways. So, Do you think... Yeah, so it only bolsters his opinion of it. It might be devil's advocate but do you think he did not want to sell? I don't even remember if it was in the book why he says he didn't sell locally. Because Marin suggested that Johannes do that, didn't she? Say, hey, you should sell locally. You're going to totally make a lot of money. And he's like, no. So do you think he was being contradictory just to spite Marin? Because he thinks he knows more than her anyway? I I think he thought that was the best way to go. Because they did say they didn't want cookies. Also, I think possibly he didn't want to raise their profile any higher than absolutely. I mean, his profile was already high. Like, everybody knew him. No, no, not him. Oh, 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 oh her. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Not, uh, Agnes and his and her husband. His name I'm just suddenly forgetting. Franz. Their profile. Yeah, their profile. Okay. That's true. Uh, but I mean, the note going back yeah. to note, <laughs> obviously saying, "Do not sell this abroad." You know, don't. This is a weapon for you. This is something you can use to your advantage here locally. And don't let it don't let it go. And once Nella gets a hold of the sugar because of, you know, Johannes's eventual you know, imprisonment and then unfortunate death. Jack, you bastard. Um <laughs> you know, uh, she really does use it to her complete and utter advantage. And I know you all don't necessarily agree with me on the ending, but I think I, I think she's going to be just a mercantile badass, personal opinion. I hope so, <laughs> but... I would love to believe that. It's the 
Amsterdam 1686. Yes. That makes me think that the people of Amsterdam would much rather take her business from her than let her succeed in it. I hear you, but there are extraordinary women throughout history That's all true. the time. And I'm just saying that she could be one of the um, one of the exceptions, you know? And you have to choose to believe that, guys. You have to, like, make that effort. And I chose to, and I'm much happier for it. I think, I'm just saying. I think if it was just her, or her and Cornelia or something, she may. But because she has this family... Um, like with the baby and Otto and things like that, like I think it would be harder for her because people talk and like how people live their lives privately is also important to how you do business. Yeah, now I know. How crazy is Marin's pregnancy? So there are a ton of uh, uh, those out there who are listening. There are a ton of just random surprises in this books. And I caught most of them, you know, Johannes being gay, um, his relationship with Jack. Uh, the one I did not catch until much later than I should have was that Marin the entire time is pregnant. And, and yet the miniaturist <sighs> caught it. Yes. The miniaturist catches everything. <laughs> So creepy. Well, why do you think that is? Uh, it, this was a big topic of discussion for us. Why does she yes. catch it? Is it magic? Do her pieces just shift and all of a sudden become pregnant when their people do? Or is this observation, or as Susan likes to call it, <laughs> is she just a real creeper Listen, standing outside the windows? It's magic, okay? It's <laughs> not magic. There's nothing in this book that proves it's magic, okay? Zero percent. Then she's a huge creeper. Like, she's following these people around, spying them, which is stalkery to begin with. But then if she's <laughs> updating the dolls and secretly exchanging them while Nella is somewhere else in the house or while she's sleeping, like, that is very disturbing to me. So I need to believe that it's magic. Susan, though, but to then- be fair, no, to be fair, the prologue has her being a creeper. The only time we get to see her from her point of view is when she's up in the church watching everyone. She's there okay, to watch so them. In the prologue, watching is fine. If you're looking at a distance and just seeing what everybody's doing, like I'm okay with that. I'm okay if you just want to spy on people. But it's when you start going into people's houses. Listen, she can't even get a bird to leave a church. She ain't magic. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, there's just no proof to it. And you if know, she there's were- a difference between having magic and using magic. And some people <laughs> might not want to inflict their magic on birds. That's let true. the birds live. She just she's using inanimate objects to tell people what she wants to tell them. You can do that without being magical. So so I'm going to throw this out there for you, Tara. What about the dog with the red mark? I think that was Nella being cray. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to say that. So so the dog with the red mark, um, I think she wants to believe that the miniaturist is magical. More than the miniaturist is actually magical, right? All her notes are are not prophecies; they're just advice. You know, when you when you look back, and she even says it when she sees the dog in the cell with Johannes, she looks at the dog, and there's no red mark, which she saw after the dog was dead. Um, I mean, why would what is if it was magic, right? If, if the dolls are magic and the dolls prophesize or update themselves magically based on what's going on, then explain to me why there would be no red mark on Riziki's head. What would be the purpose magically for that red mark to be gone? The dog is still dead. It didn't come but, back to life. But now Johannes is using it as comfort and it wouldn't comfort him I was to have just a red thinking mark that. on yes. but But, but when when does do any of the dolls other than that one time do anything like that do anything comforting i mean when after marin dies after the pregnancy is over marin's doll is still pregnant do we know that yeah yes just yeah no that. she knows it because she's looking at 
Marin's doll after the baby's born and after Marin is dead. And it's like, she, and notices, you know, and, you know, you can tell and says to the, you know, says invisibly to her brain, you know, you were in there. The miniaturist knew. So I just thought of something incredibly depressing, Tara. Thanks a lot. No worries. <laughs> um, what if she was pregnant with multiples? Oh my God, <laughs> Susan, you're just stretching it. <laughs> that is such a stretch. I, Susan, I was willing to play devil's advocate for you, but that is going a little far. No, I just, it was just like, oh my God, what oh if there's another baby stuck in you? there? I, listen, oh, you're listen. the one who made, brought it into my mind. Okay, I really don't think that's the case. <laughs> uh, so, but, so. but like she died basically because the placenta stayed inside her. Right, that is true. And she I mean, it's not a baby or pregnancy, though. Right. So I'm not saying like there's still baby stuck in the butt. I mean, your belly is still kind of round after you have a baby, especially you know because you're getting the placenta out, and it could be. I'm not saying it is, but it could be like, hey, there's a. Uh, Stuff still in there, kind of giving her the belly. So gross. Wow. This is grosser than the sex talks. Well, I mean, women women don't go back to the same size. That's just life. They don't go back to the same size immediately. And so maybe Marin's doll didn't go back to the same size immediately. Yeah. I mean, I'm still torn on whether I think it's magic See, or whether it's I'm like, I'm, raised, but, I'm pretty but, sure. Brzezinski still has a hole in its head. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's still a case. I'm saying you know, it's so probably. why is the red mark gone? I'm saying like She's it's crazy. probably because, you know, the miniatures is very, very stealthy and like, you know just Ugh. observes the world around her, but because I feel like it's so disturbingly creepy, I just really want it to be magic. <laughs> ah, so you're, you're, you sort of, like, in your heart of hearts, believe it's just observation. Oh, no, yeah, because I'm like, because the whole uh. book, the whole book, I'm thinking, like, oh, my God, this woman is incredibly creepy. I just, let's, <laughs> let's just have it be magic in my whole own happy little mind that... This is magic. <laughs> so the miniaturist is just more observant than everybody, especially Nella, because Nella's the one receiving these pieces and I mean, doesn't notice that there's black on the sugar. And sneakier than everyone else, too. You know, uh, because she's wanted when she's up in the church in the prologue and no one notices her. You know, she's just sort of there. No one notices. Yeah. The black and the sugar... That's the only one. That is the only one you could have brought up where that is my doubt. Not the See, red on not the red on the dog, because whatever. Like I said, I think Nella wants to believe so bad. Uh, but the black on the sugar is either just a insane coincidence or yeah, the miniaturist literally goes into warehouses to spy on this woman, which is possible. She could be just a really good, like, reporter, right? <laughs> like, I'm building these century miniatures. journalism. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, this chick is sending over little miniature dolls of people in her house that she did not order. This is creepy to begin with, exactly. right? Being a bigger creeper would not surprise me. See, the sugar is what makes me think that it's magic, but I'll tell you what makes me think it's observation. The fact that when Marin throws Jack's doll out the window, the doll comes back and is sitting there on the steps when Nella walks out. And that to me says that the miniaturist was at their house that day because I don't believe even a magic doll will just get up and walk out of a frozen river and go sit at your house after you've thrown him out. I think... (laughs) I think it could that's just human intervention. Like, oh, I'm in the ice. Okay, okay. I got to go back to my home. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, at least not without more do proof. Like, I need to see a doll move, or or it needed to move in the house at some point. Like, the dolls never really. And we know that Marin used to go into the cabinet and look at it, and all the other people in the house used to touch the dolls when Nella wasn't in the room. So there's no good time where you where Nella realizes that a doll has moved without without an explanation that makes sense. Yeah, that is true. You know? And I mean, you know, keeping up with this creeper deal, I feel like that's her real profession. Because, is being a creeper? Yes, because <laughs> look at how many people she was making miniatures for. And how many of them were disturbed by those miniatures. Exactly. So many. So she had to be just out and about the whole day 
or something. Like, when did she have time to make That's what I'm thinking. Like, is she so, making them and walking? <laughs> that takes a lot of time. And she has to be carrying around a lot of tools then. I highly doubt she <laughs> be doing that. But that oh also leads me to believe, like, maybe it is magic because. You know, she's observing these people, and as she's thinking it, then the dolls change. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I listen, I'm not saying... No, I mean, I, I don't think it's magic. But if it were to be magic, this book would fall under the category of magical realism, which, based on other things I've read that, is, that are magical realism, you know, mostly... Oh, God. Uh, so many Latin America, American books... Or, or stories or magical realism. Um, the tiger's, the tiger's wife, right? That's, yeah, I think other cultures use do a lot better. Yeah, do it a lot better. Oh, than I should we be do. House of the yeah. Spirits. Okay, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's just it's not fantastical or mythical enough. You know, it's too common almost and too subtly done. And not saying you can't bend a genre and make it subtle. But it's too, you know, magicalism, it's supposed to be magic, incorporating the fantastic into an otherwise realistic situation. But the, the miniatures aren't fantastic enough. They're creepy as heck and coincidental, but not fantastic. So I don't know. I, I just have a problem seeing it there. Well, I get you. Um, I want to move on to something else that we talked about that really affects the way we view things. And this could explain why three people can have such three different views of this book. Um, We talked about how the only perspective we get is Nella's perspective, which is good if you're not about shifting perspective. But Nella's world is very closed off. And how do you think that affects how you see the characters in the story? Well... Not to harp on what you just said, but you know, you like you said, you only get one perspective. Um, But Nella's world being very closed off, I think, is again going back to the turnip and tulip scenario, is really highlighting that aspect about public and private life. Nella, primarily because Johannes doesn't really treat her like his wife, doesn't have much of a public life in Amsterdam. You know, doesn't get brought into that sort of church-going, look-perfect world that Marilyn Johannes has adapted to. Most of her life is the turn-up life, is the private life. So we get to its benefit and detriment in some points of the story. We're mostly getting to the heart of the matter, to the secrets and the secrets of that house and how... Nella deals with them. Uh, We don't see enough of this outside world. We don't see enough of how important religion is, how important the pastor is, who all of these figures of society are that I think had we known them a little bit better, it would have made the trial of Johannes a little bit more, I don't know, richer, I I, I don't know what I'm searching for there. I think, I I agree with you. I think that if we had seen more of the society, I think that trial, I mean, as impactful as it was, I think it would have been more impactful. I think it would have been more of an event. But we're not tracking sort of, we're not tracking Nella's life. We're tracking her growth during this period. And the trial is really not, about Nella's growth, Johannes' arrest is about Nella's growth, but not which, so much his trial because they kind of know what the outcome is going to be. Yeah, which is why, well, yeah, because it, the prologue is a funeral, but uh, <laughs> right, which is which is why I think Marin's pregnancy, Marin's pregnancy, Marin's delivery of the baby, and Marin's death all happened during the trial. Because that is more important to Nella's growth than the right. actual trial itself. So I completely agree with you. And again, that's the things that happen inside the house. So much of the story is about what you, what you, are, what you really are 
and what your life is, what you are in your inside life and how you carry that with you publicly and how that affects you publicly. Yeah. So, I mean. Look how many times Nella decided not to go out because something was happening in the house. Um, Every time she's like, oh, I got to go to see the miniaturist and drop off this letter. And then something awful happens in the house. So I got to do this next time. Uh, you know? Yeah, like three or four times yeah. that happens. Yeah. And every time you're thinking, please just go deliver the letter and then come back. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I understand that. I think to me, it's a more personal taste. Like I want to see kind of more of everything else because I feel like when things happen, it feels like way out of left field, which is fine because that's how Petronella sees it. But to me, and to her, it is because yeah. she's not used to, you know, she's from the countryside. Right. Um, another way she could be the turnip, she's from the countryside, <laughs> you know, more of a farm veggie. Um, it's, you know, she's, and I, she's so unused to these people and their society and their lives, and everything is shocking. She, you know, in some ways, she did come there as a child. You know, she thought she would come to a house that she would run and she'd have babies and they would go to parties and they'd be happy and sort of like a girl who did nothing but play with Barbies her entire life, you know, that, that, that would be the life that she had. And yeah, I just, I wanted to see more of the religious sector, you know, group being and the merchant side just clashing. You know, I wanted to see more of that. I mean, obviously, Petronella wasn't really around, but I wanted to see more of that. <laughs> Let's be real. Even if she had been around, Petronella, as we already said, is not the most observant. She couldn't find herself in a mirror. I mean, she's just not paying attention to what the signs that are in front of her. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's great because it's a great character to watch this world in because everybody else is just like, oh, we're not allowed to have cookies today. That sucks. Moving on. And this actually impacts Nella. She's like, but I like cookies. <laughs> so, like, I think it's a good uh, um, perspective to see from, but is very closed. Yeah. She is a good protagonist I, I, mm-hmm. from that perspective. There are more interesting characters in the story, though. <laughs> well, there are a lot of interesting characters in the story. And there's a lot of interesting language in the story, which is something that I know we're all dying to talk about. So let's talk about language. Yes, 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 yes. Because it's beautiful. Oh my God, it's Jesse Burton writes is beautiful. It's so beautiful. I could seriously lick it from a bowl. It's (laughs) so, uh, I mean, I know I talked last week about the Gilead and how nice the language was there, but in comparison to this book, that's how I'm going to put it. It's nice language. The language here, every word is perfectly placed and it's, it, it is not effortless to do this, but it seems so effortless. It's delicious. I mean, it doesn't we're, we're, seem on purpose. Oh, is, not at all. Yeah. It's, it's very so organic. As you can tell, it must be on purpose because it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm, but it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like it's done on purpose. And I actually have a quote here, which drives me nuts that I forgot to bring it up before when we were talking about Marin's pregnancy. But this is just an example of the beautiful language and how well Burton uses it. This is when Nella first walks into her room and she looks at her beds and Cornelia the maid has monogrammed everything. And Nella says, the bees have gobbled up her maiden name, their bellies fat and swollen. And that's... Bellies fat and swollen. That was the first hint to me that somebody was going to be pregnant. And I thought it was a beautiful sentence. And I highlighted it the moment I read it. And it is just a beautiful way to use language. It talks about how Nella feels coming into this marriage. It talks about what's going to come. It talks about everything you see in that room. I totally didn't pick up on that. That's brilliant. That I didn't, I didn't pick up on that being a foreshadowing at all. I was just seeing how, you know, I, I was actually visualizing the letter, you know, because bees have those rounded, I was picturing them like bellies, their bellies, fat and swollen. So I was picturing the letter being just huge on these monogrammed and like everything else being tiny. 
Right. And often when you see bees in script or monogrammed or even written down, the lower half of the bee is bigger than the upper half of the bee. And it does. It looks like a swollen Mm, belly. That's true. It does. So I thought that was a beautiful, like, example of how everything is announced so clearly in this book through the language. And like she says, you know, every this isn't language based, but like the author does that so well in everything she does. You know, the first thing Marin grabs from the miniaturist is the cradle. The very first thing. Yeah. And no one in our entire book club picked that up, which I think is insane because there's, I mean, you know, we're pretty good at this sort of stuff at this point and no one picked it up. I mean, it, she does not, if you read the book closely enough, everything is right there. The entire thing is right there. Again, why the miniaturist is just a creeper and not well, magic. While I was rereading the prologue for today, I realized that everything about this book is actually located in the prologue. You could read the first, what is it, five pages of this book and know everything that's going to happen. Really? Yes, everything. And yet, you don't. It's so delicately done. So that's a lot of kudos to Jesse Burton. Like I said, look it from a bowl. (laughs) Just... It was it was like word porn for my ears every time because I read and listened to this book. Uh, I listened to it for four hours on the way down and then kept reading it. Um, every time, just every word, I was like, "Oh man, it's very organic." So but good. it didn't feel like super forced. Exactly. Even even the uh, <laughs> even the way she talks about sex. I said I bring it up, and I am. <laughs> even the way she talks about sex, which is jarring in comparison, is so well done. What does she call a penis? A rod of pain. Something to that effect. Yeah, yes. something unpleasant. <laughs> I was like, whoa. <laughs> Um, and the way she describes like the rocking and then when she finally walks in on Jack giving Johannes head and all of that descriptor is surprising. Like it's just the, the way she is able to communicate the shock and the fear and the anger and the, at the same time, especially in the Jack Johannes incident, or really only then the sexuality of it. And, like, how Johannes is moaning, how he, you know, like, I, I was so impressed and surprised it was in this book, considering how many publishers wanted it so badly, uh, which, yay, sign of the times. Um, but was really, and I just, I thought she had such a handle on how to change your emotion, like, like that, you know, just. Yeah, and I, I think. I think especially in that scene when I read it, I felt like I was envisioning almost the way she describes Jack's curls and the way Johannes was, you know, you know, lying there. I actually kind of envisioned like a painting, like with the curls and the light and the way she describes it is the way you would describe two men in a painting, yeah. Mm-hmm. The arms outstretched. I was like, wow. I was like, I can actually see this in my head. And at the same time, I'm feeling Nella's emotions, which I thought was really um, well done. Yes. Just- We're going to say that a lot, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> Just It, it was well, really well written because you can totally see that she wanted you to see the the difference. Um, the The difference of perspective of sex and how society wants to have you see their t- their town, you know? Like, everything's Absolutely. perfect and beautiful, and, like, then she walks in on them having sex, and it's, like, this is really, really, like, not not grody, but, like, it just feels unnatural. It feels I, wrong, oh, I, you know? And shocking. Oh, yeah. Shocking, maybe. I don't think unnatural or wrong. I was actually about to say, I thought, given, given that, you know, Nella is completely shocked and didn't even consider homosexuality an option for Johannes. And, 
you know, had never seen anything like that in her life, and it is the time period it is, for all those things, I thought she did it quite naturally. You know, I, I, I've seen a lot of, I mean, I've read a, a few books where they're describing, you know, blowjobs or giving head, and it's not half as beautiful or sensually done. You know, a lot of times it is this sort of dirtier thing in a book when someone walks in on someone else. I feel like that's like her that. initial reaction, but she didn't like then. I don't know. I don't I'm think. To, I think it was described beautifully. I don't think Nella found it. No, 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 no. Yeah, I that's what Nella I'm saying. Like, this found is, it wrong, right? And yet, like, that's because yes. she was so shocked. She was not expecting that whatsoever. Of course, but I, I, I'm just giving props to the author oh, that yes. it was done in a way that wasn't like, you know, two men going at it is rough and terrible, or you know, or you know, obviously not animalistic in any way. It's not any of those things. The way she describes it. And I, I just wanted to give props for that because a lot of people, especially for a shocking moment, could have gone down that road. This is true. It, is, it would definitely be um, another way of writing that. I think it says a lot about the way Jessie Burton chooses to write her scenes. Yeah. So I'm, I think... We have a lot of thoughts on this, but I really want to tell everybody about our next book on Eclectic Readers that we're going to be reading. Um, and next month, we're going to be reading Wool by Hugh Howey, which is another dystopia. We've done a lot of those in Eclectic Readers, but this is going to be our first one we're going to podcast, so it's going to be exciting. And, you've and read our first for the while, a while. Yes. Yes, yeah. we've kind of put a pause, a, a pause on our dystopias after going through... Hunger Games and a few others. Yes. Oh my goodness. Ready Player One. Handmaid's Tale. Canticle yes. for Libowitz. Yes. Uh, quite a few. So, and this one I think is going to be a little bit different from those. Less children fighting each other. Um, <laughs> That's more, good. I can only handle that, you know. Yeah, personal. more dealing yep. with an apocalyptic situation. Right. So, Ben, you've read this before, Jeanette, right? I have, but I'm not going to give any spoilers. Good. It's a good book, though. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it's a really good book. Um, it's by Hugh Howey. He originally re- wrote it in about five parts. And there's it's now a series. I think there's more parts to it now. But we're just going to be talking about the wool part. So, wool by Hugh Howey. Exciting! So we have talked a lot about the miniaturist. <laughs> Can I just ask one last question before we go about the miniaturist? Yes. Did you like it? Well, I did. I really liked it. I don't think I loved it or felt as passionately about it as I could have because of so many things that I was able to predict. But I did enjoy it quite a bit. Yeah, I would say I it was a solid like for me. Um, it's just, it, and it's a lot of personal things. Like I, it's just not how I envisioned it, you know. Uh, but it was just so much to talk about. Yeah, I, I think I love the language. I think I love the language, and like the story. I, I, and that's that. That's sad for me because it turns into such a great feminist story surprise, which I was not expecting. Uh, but I, I love the language and, and like the story. But I would recommend it. Yes, at least for a read. Yes. You know. Yeah. So. Yes, definitely. And it's not a long or a heavy read. It's mm-hmm. a really nice, satisfying, kind of fun book to read. Absolutely. Yes. Um, yeah, like we can keep talking about this book for a very long time, <laughs> but um, we could. One interesting tidbit: the miniaturist book, uh, the dollhouse, was actually based on a real dollhouse uh, that was discovered, um, and we'll include a link to some photos in the show notes for you to take a look at those. It's gorgeous, um, a lot of detail and just amazing, really good condition. And uh, you can yeah. also check out all the other books that we talked about. Uh, we'll have links to Amazon, probably, or Goodreads, um, to take a look at the books that we've talked about in the rest of the show. 
and check out our Goodreads page for more discussion. Uh, we love talking about books from past, books we're reading now, <laughs> books to come. So check it out. We'll continue discussions there. Yes, I usually put up a post for every book that we read. So if you want to hear more of our rantings on The Miniaturist, check out that post because I'm sure that we will have more comments to make. Yes. Absolutely. Um, and so where can people find you, Tara? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Tara Newman, T-A-R-A-N-E-W-M-A-N, or at my at my Goodreads page, which you can just find from our Goodreads page. So check me out there. Jeanette? You can find me on Twitter at Dr. Jeanette. And you can find me on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash JMT Rivera or off of our Goodreads page. Yeah, and you can find me at Rudy Kaicho um, or Goodreads, which I'm actually under Sue Lyons and Google Plus, um, Susan Lyons. I'm probably one of the few people who actually use that religiously. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, great. And if you'd like to support us, you can go to sunriserobot.net slash support um, to help keep our shows running. And uh, that'll be wonderful. Um, and so now ends the miniaturist. So let's shelve this until next month, guys. Sounds good. See you then. All right, bye. See you then.